And welcome to Groove Therapy, a new podcast where we explore the effects of live music on our brains, bodies, and our lives, and we provide you a space to learn about how you can bring the magic of live music into your everyday life. This is our first official episode, and we are so glad to have you here. My name is Dr. Leah Taylor, and I am joined by my co-host, Tara Lee Weathers. Hi, Tara Lee. Hey, 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 everyone. Hi. So we are so excited because our very first guest of our first official episode is one of my favorite humans on the planet and musicians. His name is Joel Cummins, and he is in Umphreys McGee, and also he wrote an amazing book called The Realist Guide to a Successful Music Career. And the reason why I chose Joel is because I know that he has a really strong commitment to his own personal health and development. Whenever he comes to play in Burlington, we do yoga classes together and eat healthy food and just hang out and meditate and breathe. And so I knew that he would be the perfect candidate for what we are talking about because he is someone that lives with intention in everything that he does. Yeah, it was so fun to talk to Joel and for me to get to know him a little bit better. And he's he was such a funny guy, and I love his laugh. Yeah, it's so contagious. And in this episode, as you'll all hear, we make him laugh a lot. So that's a, <laughs> that's a thing to look forward to and to keep on listening. Totally. And we also talk about one of my favorite subjects when it comes to live music, which is the connection between the audience as well as the band members. And I feel like that's not really discussed very much. And so it was so fun for Joel to just like come right out of the gates talking about the connection uh, within the live music experience. So we dive into that and Joel tells us a little bit about what he's missing most about this time of, you know, here we are not being able to see large live music shows and our live music world has really been turned upside down. Uh, but there are some silver linings of that and Joel talks about those and also how he got into rock and roll, which was a really cool story to hear. So look forward to that in this episode. And then make sure that you stay tuned at the end because we're doing some really fun segments on each episode of our Groove Therapy podcast. And the first one is, did you know? So I'm going to come in and I'm going to take something that we talked about throughout the interview and I'm just going to highlight it as like a fun fact of research so that you guys can get just clear on like what is actually happening during this experience as far as what's happening in our brains and our bodies. So stay tuned for that. And then Tara Lee does a daily jam where you can get some fun tips and tools as to how to take this magic out into your everyday life. I'm so looking forward to everybody listening and letting us know what you think. And I'm going to listen to this over and over again because I just like to listen to Joel and his insights. And I learned so much and I want to put them all into practice. And so I'm so grateful for that. We are a part of the Osiris Podcast Network. And we'll be right back. Here with Joel Cummings, and he is from 
I'm Freeze McGee and also wrote The Realist Guide to a Successful Music Career. And we are so excited to have this lovely conversation and spend some time with one of my favorite people on the planet. Hey, Joel. Oh, hey, Tara Lee. That's about the best intro I've ever gotten. So I'll take that. Yay. Very nice to be spending this with you too. You're also one of my favorite people. Oh, thank you so much. Aw, so um, much love. I know, it's like health hugs and rock and roll is happening already. <laughs> and you're actually our first guest. Did you know that? What? No, I didn't know that. Yes. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. Well, thank so. you. It's, uh, it's great to be here. I know we've, we've talked about this for a little while, and you just recently told me that you guys, you know, are finally getting started with it. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be here and, and to talk about music and to talk about uh, your guys' work, too. Yeah, yeah, we have a great roster of guests lined up, but I'm so happy that you are our very first one. And our first question of our very first guest, or to our very first guest, is what do you love most? Oh, <laughs> um, what do you love most about live music as a performer and also as a fan? Well, you know, it's a multifaceted answer because as a performer, Obviously, I love the creative process and I love the human bond that happens when, especially when I get to create with other people. Um, I, I, of course, these days do a lot of, a lot of solo playing, which is quite a bit different. And I, I really enjoy that too. But um, being able to create something with, with other people and have it be this musical conversation is something that um, it kind of goes beyond, I think, what the tangible human experiences and I think that's what a lot of the audience members love about live music too is because they are seeing something unique happening between other people that are that are connecting on uh, on a level of musical language um, but you know of course we've, we've heard lots of times that that music is the universal language and 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 that really is true because it, it brings everyone together um, to celebrate something, you know, that, that, that feels like it's, it's more about life than anything. And so, you know, I'm just as big of a music fan as I am a, a creator of music. And, and part of that is because, um, well, part of that now is being realized because my wife Dasha works in the music business as well. Uh, she works doing a lot of backstage logistics at festivals and things like that. So whenever I have time off where the band isn't playing, I'll, go to wherever she is and and it's been a really nice extra benefit of you know of being around and I've of course I've also gotten involved in a few other things that I probably wouldn't have been as involved in if she hadn't been there things like jam cruise um, and electric forest um, so you know there's there's a litany of other ones Bonnaroo I've done a couple like super jams late night stuff uh, you know just because I was like okay well this is where we're gonna be I might as well try to experience this as both a performer and, and a listener. You know, I was thinking about this because Jam Cruise Terribly is something that we've, we've both experienced. And I always think of it as it, it's, you know, it's a musical event that happens typically at the beginning of each year and is like a third Mardi Gras, third Burning Man, and a third a New Year's Eve party or something, right? And to me, it's those sort of things where everybody has come together for this one reason, just to celebrate music and life. And you walk away from events like that feeling 
like your soul is rejuvenated and recharged. And so for so many years when I was doing that, that was kind of what got me in the right mental uh, headspace to go out and then tour with Humphreys for, you know, three months in a row. We're typically very busy in January, February, March. So, um, but yeah, that's, I mean, so my favorite thing is experiencing that connection, whether it's as a performer on stage, connecting with the, the musicians I'm making music with and the audience or being in the audience and feeling that connection with my fellow audience members and the musicians that are creating music. Yeah, Leah, um, what is some of the science behind what he, what Joel just shared and how he feels um, from playing and also witnessing music? Yeah, good question. And Joel, I love that you bring this up because this, I feel like, is a piece that I don't get to hear enough of um, when it comes, especially to musicians. Like, I can talk to other fans about it, um, but I love to hear about it from what is it like up on stage and are you having the same experience as we are as you know this is really being co-created in the moment with the people that are there there is research that is called uh, self other merging that's really happens when people are moving together in time it's like uh, the boundaries of their body begin to blur and all of a sudden it's like they are one person so there's so much that's that we don't know about what's happening right because it is such a transcendent experience and it really blurs like the uh time and space boundaries and i'm sure we've all had that experience where it's like oh my god two hours went by in a flash and it was just this whole big moment that just happened but i think that's that's what's really uh, that's part of it, but then also the connections that happen, like the really deep connections that happen when people are experiencing something that is nonverbal. And everything that I've read, it really has to do with the movement too. So whether it's the movement of playing or the movement of moving or the vibration, I'm sure has something to do with that too, but it's, it's really about that movement and that energy. It, that's a little bit interesting to me because that would kind of differentiate concerts between when it's a general mission and people are standing and dancing versus a seated concert that the experience is somehow a little bit different and have you noticed that oh yeah i mean you know we we try to set up our events so that we want to have the the ga experience you know down in front and particularly on the floor um you know, now that we've been around for a few years, we do have some older fans. So we don't mind if the balcony has seats up there. You know, you want to give people the opportunity, especially with Humphreys McGee. We're one of the most long-winded bands out there. So, you know, we understand people need a break. But um, undoubtedly, there's, there's a huge difference in the energy. And I, I think that's one reason why we've, we've tried to, you know, cater to playing to more events where, um, where it's an open situation where anybody can be. But uh, yeah, it's funny. The other thing that you mentioned about how time goes by differently. I have, um, I do uh, yoga as well. And, and so when I'm, particularly when I've been traveling, I use a site, was called Yoga Glow, now called glow.com. And there's a teacher there, Mark Holzman. And he says, in one of the classes where we're doing minute, poses where we're holding poses for a minute he says 
sometimes a minute goes by like an hour, sometimes an hour goes by like a minute. And that was exactly what I thought of. Whenever he says that, I think of like, oh man, when I'm at shows, those hours do go by like minutes. And when I'm holding these yoga poses, the minutes go by like hours. That's true. Yeah, I call that time travel. So you are, you're a time traveler. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is, it is so interesting. And to answer your question a little bit about, you know, is it the same for a performer as it is for the audience member? It's definitely quite a bit different because for, uh, you know, there's a good chunk of our concerts where we're playing fairly complicated music. And so I need to be focused on the interaction and, and my own personal playing and the interaction of what the other band members are trying to communicate to each other. So there isn't as much time or brain power left for me to really consider the experience of taking it all in when creating. And also, you know, the improvisational element of it adds another layer to that where I'm trying to be in the moment, but I'm also trying to anticipate if I'm creating, what is the next thing that's going to happen so that I'm ready for that and I'm not the one who makes it sound terrible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I think the there are times when that connection can happen um, as a musician between the audience. And I, I think it can also be aided or hindered by the visual element. There are days when we play shows and I can't see anybody past like the second or third row. And then there are days when we play shows, um, you know, for instance, at Red Rocks in Colorado or the, the Tabernacle, um, where it just seems like you can see people, you know, just like going up in front of you. And then you can get a little better feel for the energy that is actually being created and passed back and forth. So, so that element, I think, is a little bit variable. Um, and sometimes I experience it more listening back to something that we did as opposed to actually experiencing it in the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, so now there's no live music in theaters with people. So what are you missing most about the live music experience? Well, that's, that's, that's a hard question to answer because I really miss all of it. And we didn't really have a moment to kind of take it all in and say, okay, this is now going away. Um, the last concert that we played was on March 7th and um, we definitely thought there's a chance we're not gonna be playing concerts next weekend, but we didn't know. And so, you know, in that context, I really miss the, I miss that connection of, you know, creating music with my, with my, my brothers. I, we've been a band with the same, personnel since 2002. So the relationship with that and with, with our crew, um, that's something that feels like family to me. And, and so it was, it was hard because honestly, I mean, that's a, that's a big part of, of my identity, I feel like as well. Um, so to have that just kind of taken away indefinitely is a scary thing. And, you know, I know that I'm a talented musician and I have things to share, but I also know that the reason that Humphreys McGee still exists is because there's some sort of intangible bond between us as musicians that our fans connect with. 
And, you know, it, there's, it's the same reason why most, you know, quote unquote, supergroups of bands don't really do that great because it's more about the chemistry on stage than it is of just taking the best players of every instrument and trying to put them together and seeing what happens. Um, and then, you know, of course I miss the, um, I miss the interaction with, with the audience attendees too. You know, there were a lot of times that after a show, um, Ryan, our bass player has a, a band called Doom Flamingo and they've been playing a lot of concerts for the past couple of years. So probably every other weekend or something, they would on average, they would have a show after our show. And so I loved going to, you know, taking that energy that I just performed a concert and then being able to go out and experience, um, you know, other, other people creating was really cool. And also, you know, some time to hang out with Humphreys fans that were at the show and, you know, either wanted to just have a drink, do a cheers, you know, dan dance around for a little bit. That, that was always a lot of fun. And, um, and so I, I, I miss those connections too. You know, and, and, and since then, um, I've, I've done a lot of streaming of both my own performances from, uh, from my little studio out back here. And I've also done a, a quite a bit of teaching and some, some private concerts and also uh, doing some virtual hangs with fans. So one of the things that I'm really grateful for um, in this, this day and age is that we still have this opportunity to connect with each other virtually. Obviously, there would be benefits to this as well, but I, I feel like had this been happening in 1990 or 91, you know, it would be incredibly more challenging for all of us to keep finding ways to connect with each other and to, to be inspired. Yeah. Yeah, there's that outlet there still for that connection, which really has been the thread of what you've been talking about, the the relationships and the, the deep connections between your band members and the audience. So that's great that you've been able to find a way to not only have your outlet for music, um, to be able to, to get it to people and to, to do it yourself, but also to still have that relational aspect there too. Yeah. And, you know, I have gotten a lot of, um, a lot of people that have been watching the, the live streams that I've been doing saying that, you know, this, these streams have been healing and rejuvenating for them. So, um, even though we aren't able to be in each other's presence in that community, uh, the, the, the fact that that experience can still happen. And, you know, there are obviously um, chat rooms and stuff that are going along with this where people are being able to say hi to each other. And, um, you know, one, one funny thing about this, there, there are many of us who go to shows and kind of take it as this, you know, very intense um, spiritual experience and get angry at the, the, the talkers at the shows, right? So, the nice thing about the chat rooms is, you know, they're not, they're not invading anyone's uh, oral space. They can still hear the stuff, you know, we don't hear the clicking of the keyboard. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Look at their talking in and not bother other people. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I actually love the chats in the streams and it's so fun to see everyone's names pop up and you're like, oh, that's my friend. And, and you get that excitement. It's not the same as going to a show and seeing your friends in real life, but it's like a little bit of that that you're getting in this weird situation that we're in. Well, and, and knowing that at least you're going to have that shared experience still in common, you know? 
Yeah, I think that's that's such an important point is that shared experience. And actually, it's that shared experience, too, that really deepens the connections between people. So I think you hit the nail on the head with that. That's a really great point. We're still having that shared experience. It's just a little bit different. And we're still able to connect with each other during it, which is really cool. We yeah. just can't always see each other dancing, which is what I've been missing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what, um, you know, some of these things that I've been doing are like these big Zoom calls, um, you know, with where I'm doing a, a private concert for like, you know, 20 people in 10 different places. And so in that instance, it's funny. Um, I did my first one the other day where I did a private broadcast on YouTube to help get a little better audio quality. Um, and then had, so I had two computers set up and I had the zoom call in front of me and, you know, and I've been doing these, I'm never looking at the people that I'm playing for. And in this instance, they were all right in front of me and I was, and there was also like a 30 second delay. So it was very funny watching people like get really excited about something I did 30 seconds ago. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in this, in, in that instance, I was able to, uh, to find, to be able to watch some people dancing. So that, that was kind of fun and it gave me, gave me a little smile while I was playing, even if they were a little bit out of time. With <laughs> hey, and they got, you got to hear applause, which I know so many musicians are missing or didn't even realize that was something that they missed yeah. so much, even though you got it 30 seconds later, but yeah. you still got it. Yeah. One of, one of my, my, my jokes that has made its, made its way into many of these. I'm like, you know, when I, when I'm performing, I'm like, guys, you know, please everybody mute yourselves so that the audio quality is as good as possible. And then I'm like, yeah, when you're like cheering for me and stuff, unmute, unmute. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know you're saying that. Yeah. I wonder if when we get back to when we can pre perform in front of people, be like, okay, everybody. So everyone, please mute yourself. That joke will definitely be made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so what are you doing to keep, being, to keep yourself healthy and sane during this time? Uh, well, I mean, outside of music, it's, it's been a little bit of a challenge um, I mean, honestly, like the first month as, as things were kind of developing, um, you know, Tara Lee, you know this about, about Dasha and me, but we are avid travelers. And so we have never spent more than two consecutive weeks in our house. <laughs> and uh, so that was, that was really hard at first. And the other really hard part was, we had an event uh, that sold out like almost immediately in Iceland. We were going to play three concerts in Iceland and, you know, we were all of everybody in the band, we were all bringing our families and, um, and then Dasha and her mom and, and our daughter, Willa Quinn, were going to go on to Spain and Portugal after that. So it was hard at first seeing all those dates roll by knowing what we had planned and that, you know, here we are kind of, kind of isolated. So, I was honestly like really struggling to find energy to, to, to do a lot because I've just, I've spent, you know, all of the energy in my life in my career for the past 20 years. And, you know, the, the only other thing other than creating and making music I was doing was helping with our, with our business, like, you know, being on routing calls and helping like plan concerts and stuff. Right. So all of a sudden that was all gone. And, um, 
and it was it was really hard at first and i feel like i've i've turned a little bit of a corner in the past few weeks uh just getting back into yoga and um being able to like feel like i'm safe to go for a run around the neighborhood um and it's pretty much all due to the fact that our daughter is just the most amazing uh sleeper all my other friends and bandmates are always wanting to kill me they're like kids are up at 6am. I'm like, yeah, well, Quinn slept till 915 today. So um, I do the, uh, I, I typically do the morning shift. I'm more of a morning person and Dash is more of a night person. So I get Willa Quinn up every morning and, and, you know, we spend the morning together. And, um, and so recently we've also, uh, I had a friend of mine give me a little uh, like plastic slide fort thing their kids were too old for it at this point. And so he was like, uh, we've been looking for somebody to give it to. And I was like, yeah, you know, we live next to this park. And the whole reason we, we came here was because we wanted to, you know, have this for Will Quinn. She was just getting into the, you know, the, the, the swing and the slides. And, and so now we have this little escape in our front yard that she just gets every morning we run out there and she makes this little sound as she's running toward the slide. You know, she's just so excited about it. So I feel like that's been a good, you know, we've we figured out ways to kind of take advantage. And I'm so grateful that we have some outdoor space to use as well. I feel like that's been really helpful just for all of our all of our sanity. Um, but yeah, so I've been trying to at least every other day get back into the mode of doing something physical right in the beginning of the day. And, and I also, um, you know, I've seen people say this like, learn how to do something new. Um, for Mother's Day, my, my wife just, she goes nuts for oat milk lattes. And uh, as anybody who is a drinker of those knows that can, those can add up, that can be an expensive habit. So we, uh, we got, I, I got her an espresso machine and like pro grinder and I learned how to make oat milk lattes at home. So uh, I've since become pretty addicted to espresso and I had to Google the other day, how much espresso is too much in one day? So, you know, and the, what answer is the answer is, yeah. the answer is five, five should be your limit. No more than five espressos a day. Good to know. <laughs> what happens if you have more than five espressos in a day? Do you spontaneously yeah, combust? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, you know, uh, I mean, it, who knows? Can't be good for the heart though, you know? <laughs> so that's been the, at least one new thing. Um, my mother-in-law gave me a recipe that turned out to be really great for lamb. So I learned how to cook some lamb. Um, you know, definitely been doing a lot more, a lot more cooking at home and while still trying to support a lot of the local uh, businesses that are still open and, you know, getting, getting takeout food from them whenever we can too. So, but yeah, I think it's a combination of all those things and still, you know, playing as much as I can. I've played my piano more than ever. Uh, listening to as much music as possible. That's something that's so important to ingrain in our in our daughter. And so it's almost like no matter what we're doing, whenever I sit her down in her chair to eat breakfast, I put something on every day. Whenever we go outside to play, always putting music on. So yeah, she she definitely has the love and is, you know, as I sent a little video to Tara Lee the other day. She does, she's got the spin move down and she recently acquired the ability to walk backwards. So she likes to do the backup now as well. <laughs> it's so cute. I definitely took some inspiration from her moves into my, <laughs> my daily dance party. Nice, nice. 
Yeah, but that's uh, that's about it at this point, you know, and um, she's now at an age where we can probably like take her out a little bit and take her for some walks and stuff. Um, so that's, you know, I'm looking forward to doing that a little more. And, you know, we live very close to the beach. So maybe taking her down there pretty soon. And um, we put her in the water, just not water as cold as it is here. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. But but yeah, that's, you know, and just really focusing on, on family. We have Dasha's sisters and our, our brother-in-law live here. And so we've kind of included them in our little quarantine group. And so at least once a week we get together and, um, you know, all my, my brother-in-law is a chef, so I don't do much cooking for him, but he cooks for me. Um, and, uh, you know, just really enjoying that family time and the family bonding and being grateful that we, we have people that we love here. Yeah, that's probably such a blessing because you're, you know, you travel so much and you're on the road so much. And now you have all this time where you just have to be in your home. And so even though it's like, you're sad because you miss all those other things, but then there is that silver lining of getting to explore where you are in your home. Yeah, no doubt. And we've gotten to know uh, some of our neighbors very well, uh, too. So, you know, we're it's it's that feeling like we're all kind of we're all kind of cooped up here. And, you know, it feels like a natural and safe thing to be like, hey, why don't you uh, come out and we'll we'll hang out in the backyard for a few hours tonight. So, yeah, so that that's that's been cool, too. Yeah. So I just want to just ask you a question about your book it's the realist guide to successful music career and so the music industry is like evolving and changing now because of everything that's going on so is there any advice or something that you would add to your to your book to aspiring musicians yeah well first of all i'm really glad that we put out the book last year and didn't wait any longer <laughs> <laughs> This now opens up the possibility of a second edition. So, um, well, you know, here's, there's, there's a couple things. First of all, I think for people that are in close proximity to each other, we don't, we don't have that luxury as a band. We have some of us living in Nashville, some are in Chicago, some are in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, and I'm, you know, as I said, I'm in Santa Monica, California. So um, we're all over the place and we are planning on getting together here soon, but the people that do have that advantage of being, you know, a close physical proximity, I would say, take advantage of that and use this time to keep growing and keep creating. And the luxury of having the ability to stream stuff now, keep engaging the fan bases because, you know, those, those people need the music just as much as we do. And so you know a lot of a lot of people have taken advantage of that which is great and so you know if you don't have that advantage i think it's important to you know learn to new technologies that that can help you connect with your your bandmates and so that you can continue to create um even if you're in a different space and also you know trying to i'm, I'm in the fortunate position of being a keyboard player so you know i can recreate a lot of songs playing chords and melodies with my right hand, playing bass with my left hand and singing. And, you know, a lot of musicians, if you're just a drummer or a bass player or something, you might not have that ability. So, you know, if you, you play guitar, you play keyboards, take advantage of what you can do to create and, and share with people because 
same thing. You know, it's going to be good for you and it's going to be good for anyone who gets to experience what you create for them. Yes. And the people need it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the people need it. It is so true. Yeah, yeah. I love how everyone has been like so many people have been so creative in the ways that they've figured out how to deliver their music to the world. Um, whether if they're a band that's in a different place, all recording separately and then putting it together, um, or if they're able to do it together, even someone who was in a band that you never saw play by themselves and all of a sudden they're like, okay, well, I need to create music. So I have to do this by myself and how vulnerable and scary that probably is. And so it's been really beautiful to watch some of my favorite musicians just do something a little bit different and even like more vulnerable. Yeah, with without a doubt, you know, and and for me, I mean, I've I've learned how to play and sing a bunch of Bumphreys tunes, and I've probably learned twenty five or thirty, you know, new new covers that I could I could do, and I've, I've also had um, there have been a couple of classical pieces that I've always wanted to play, but that were kind of pushing the boundaries of what my skill level can handle. So um, I, I picked up this uh, Chopin etude. Uh, opus 10 number three in E major that is one of my favorite all-time songs but that you know I was like I need to have a month of working on this every day to really be able to play it and I did it now you know so um, so that's been um, really exciting and then you know also having the outlet to like I put all the work in on this and now I can play it for some people and they get to enjoy it too so um, that that's that's been a pretty pretty cool part of this but um, yeah, I would just say like, keep trying to push those, uh, those boundaries. And I actually, um, you know, like all my gear, uh, that I play with, with Humphreys McGee is in a warehouse in Chicago. Uh, so there was a keyboard that I've been looking at for the past year and a half, uh, that I've, I've wanted to get called the, the Moog One. Moog is one of my, uh, endorsers and a, a great, uh, a great company and the Moog Foundation, Michelle Moog, who's Bob Moog's daughter, is a, a wonderful person. Um, so they're kind of two different arms of what's going on with that. But yeah, I, so I decided, you know what, I'm going to get this keyboard and send it to my house. And I didn't know when I heard it, I'm like, maybe I'll have a month or two where I can kind of sit and figure this out. And so it turns out um, it's a pretty complex keyboard. So I'm glad that I'm going to have like six to eight months to work on this thing. But yeah. I have that too, in addition to my uh, my acoustic piano that that I've gotten to spend a lot of time with. So just having a few different facets of, of things to work on that are in, really in different realms of, of our musical world um, has been pretty rewarding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leah, do you have any more questions or do you feel complete? That, yeah, I think this was really great. I love we covered so much and um talked about the experience i guess one one last thought is um and this might be long i don't know but uh we had talked about how like rock and roll has really saved us and just curious if if you had the same experience uh, what made you want to play rock and roll i like that question um it's interesting for me because the inspiration came from a lot of places, but I think that the true confirmation ironically came from singing in an all acapella vocal group. And 
it, it happened kind of twice for me. Once was in high school. Um, I went to a public high school just outside of Chicago called Lyons Township that was very well known for their, their vocal music programs and having just some amazing teachers and directors there. And that was the first time I realized, I mean, it kind of, I'm trying to think of the, the proper analogy here. It kind of felt like the Bad News Bears in a sense that we, we had a few really good singers, but two thirds of the choir were just people that were just trying to sing and, you know, had gradually learned how to read music. And, um, you know, we were a ragtag bunch. And at the same time, our director was able to pull us together and really teach us about how when a group of 40 people can execute an idea with dynamics and precision, how powerful that could be. Um, so that, that was the first time that happened for me. And then when I got to uh, Notre Dame, I joined the, uh, the men's glee club there. Um, and they had a new uh, director there when I was a, a freshman. It was his first year too. And he was a 35 year old guy who had got his master's from, uh, from Cornell and specialized in 16th century Renaissance polyphony. Um, so you may or may not know what that is, but that's like, you know, Palestrina, Jasquin de Pre, Cristobal de Morales. And it was basically the music that happened after Gregorian chant. So these were the people that were really exploring the depths of what, what can we do with multiple voices singing different parts and different lines. Um, and so it was this, this performing this early music um, and I mean, I'll never forget, we recorded an album in the uh, Basilica at the University of Notre Dame there in uh, 1994. I'm guessing it was spring 94. So it was my end of my freshman year. And it kind of hit me about how this music that we were keeping alive in, you know, 1994 was, you know, created eons ago, these guys probably didn't think their music was going to survive centuries into the future. And yet here it was inspiring me to create music in a different way. And I didn't know what that was going to be until I really met the guys and started playing with them in the band. And that wasn't until the end of 97. So that was a few years later. Um, but I was, I was searching for those people that I felt like, okay, I might be able to have this connection with where I can create rock and roll. So I think it was the combination of singing that vocal music. And then I kind of right along the same time discovered the music of Fish. I had uh, a guy right across the hall from me that asked me, he's like, you know, I know what kind of music you're into. Do you know these guys? And I, I didn't know him at that point. They were still kind of a big East Coast thing at the end of 1993. And, and this guy was from Connecticut. So, you know, he was already deeply entrenched in, in that scene. And I'd always connected with, even though I was doing this vocal stuff, I'd never really wanted to be a lead singer. And I'd always more connected with the, with the keyboard and the piano in particular as an instrument. So seeing what Fish was doing and then realizing that, oh, here's a band that's creating contemporary music that has, the keyboardist is a really important voice for what's happening, but doesn't have to be the lead singer was um was hugely inspiring to me you know because i i grew up like you know loving stevie wonder and ramsey lewis and bruce hornsby um 
and Elton John and Billy Joel, but these guys were all the lead vocalists as well. So I felt like that kind of gave me the, I don't know if it was, you know, kind of the inspiration or just the believing in myself that, oh, this is something that, that can happen. So, and, you know, and that's kind of the, uh, the, the, the niche that I've carved out for myself as, as part of Humphreys since then. I mean, at least I hope I'm an integral part of the music. You'll have to ask the other guys in the band about that. As a listener, you definitely are an integral part of the music. And I, I love Fish, and now I love them even more because that was part of you being who you are and the musician that you are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And the keyboard yeah, well, is, is usually my favorite instrument of the band. So, yeah. All right. Well, Leo, you're winning points with me over there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah well thank you so much for spending this time with us and being our very first guest we're so grateful to well, have you it's important you know to set the bar low with the first one and then you know nowhere to go but up from here guys so i see great things <laughs> i don't know the pressure's on for everybody else <laughs> uh, i love it well this has been a lot of fun and i've really enjoyed uh, chatting about music and now I, I feel inspired. I think I'm going to go uh, play some music. Yeah, do it. Yay! <laughs> Our job is done here, Leah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mission accomplished. Thanks so well, much, Joel. Yeah, thank you. Thank you both, Leah and Terry Lee, and best of luck for, uh, for whatever you guys want to do with this. I'm sure you're going to inspire lots of people out there and, and you know, help help rejuvenate that that connection to music that we all love so much. Cheers. All right. <laughs> Cheers. <Bye. laughs> the guys are awkward, which is why we were just so awkward there. But what a great interview. Isn't Joel is just such an incredible person. I'm so grateful for all that information that he gave us and the time he spent with us. Yeah, it was it was really fun. I got a lot of laughs and uh, just really great to yeah talk about the connection with live music, um, which is something that is has always been like really inspiring to me. And also as a researcher, really like I want to figure this out, you know, like I know what it's like for me, but that was really one of the impetuses for me to study it in a more academic way because there's such a collective something going on and like what is that and so it it was really cool to hear from a musician uh what his perspective was and also as an audience member so as promised did you know bring in a little bit more research on just that fact the connection and the dancing and I mentioned in the podcast, uh, the self-other merging, or in the interview portion of our podcast, the self-other merging, which really is the sense of blurring of self and other through moving simultaneously with another. And I remember I saw this uh, image of these two kids and they both have their headphones on and they're kind of standing face to face and their hands are touching um, and they're just like looking into each other's eyes 
And I use that image when I made a, an Instagram post about this particular concept because it just show, so appropriately showed to me like what I felt like they were experiencing right then. Like, wait, is that me? That looks like me. Are you different? You know, and so like the self other merging concept is not so much thinking it in our brains, but actually sensing it within our bodies that all of a sudden we don't really have a boundary, but yet we are just one with all that is happening around us. And according to the research, it occurs more often when we're in a comfortable environment and with familiar music which I know that we can all really relate to as fans that go and see the same music over and over and over again. And also throughout my dissertation research, just how often I heard the phrase, I felt like I was home. Yeah, I'm in your dissertation and I'm one of those people that said that I felt like I was home. Yes, you were, you were. And that's a feeling that I've had myself too. So also the research says that with self other merging and endorphin release during musical engagement, it helps to strengthen social bonds. So both the musicians and the audience are really getting the benefit of those endorphins during a show and also um, can receive, you know, the same experience of self other merging, whether they're dancing in a crowd surrounded by other fans or they're playing their instrument up on stage. It's like all of a sudden it's just this thing that is happening and it feels very transcendent and very unity based, um, which can also help to encourage cooperation. So, you know, that's something that we for sure see within our um, fan base, you know, like just the sense of cooperation that happens most of the time, you know, of course, there's always outliers and that will happen because this is life and there's always wholeness and another side of things. But for the most part, there's a lot of cooperation that happens and it's it's always such a heartfelt thing to, to see that happening. And the self-other merging and the the sense of deep connection can help add to that. Yes, that all makes sense. And I'm I'm so grateful for your research because I always felt those things to be true and would try to talk about why it's so much more than music and why it's worth the investment to go to see music because it is medicine and healing and and now I know that that's actually true and not just something I'm making up in my head. Yes and I hope that that will also be something that our listeners will take away as well. Um, because it is important to know that it's important and that it has meaning and that it is worthwhile. And now I have a practical tip that you can take off of this podcast and out and into the world. Daily Jam. And that is to make a socially distant or phone date with a friend that you know because you met them while having a live music experience. And when you make this date, there's some preparations for you to do beforehand. I want you to set the scene. So maybe it's burning some incense, lighting a candle. Maybe you have laser lights at your house, um, playing with lighting sense, sounds, smells, all the things. 
set the scene for this date with this person. And then I want you to get dressed as if you're going to a show. So whatever that means to you, put on your show best outfits and get together with your friend. So when you have the date, you are going to talk about a live music experience that you shared together because that will bring some of those endorphins back because you were talking about an experience that you shared together and it will bring it back into your reality today. And then the other thing is I want you to each pick a song that you experienced live together and dance to it together. So you have that movement and Leah, you could tell a little bit more about that research, but I picked these based on what you shared. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And yeah, the movement even while doing it virtually can still create those positive changes because you can actually see the other person moving. And that's what it's really about. It's about seeing another person moving uh, in time to the same music that you are. Well, thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode. We're so grateful for you. I think I keep on saying we're grateful, but I'm just so grateful to get to do this and that people are listening to us and that Leah, I get to spend some time with you. Yes. And thank you again to Joel for coming on and being our first interviewee. So exciting. And thank you, Osiris Network, for allowing us to do this. Absolutely. So stay tuned for more episodes coming soon.